Welcome to the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of news impacting the precious metals markets. It's Friday, December 15th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. Man, oh man, oh man, what a difference two weeks makes. Here was Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell on December 1st, speaking at Spelman College in Atlanta. He said, it would be premature to conclude with confidence that we have achieved a sufficiently restrictive stance or to speculate on when policy might ease. We are prepared to tighten policy further if it becomes appropriate to do so. Now, contrast that with Powell's comments on Wednesday after the FOMC meeting. He said, it is not likely to be appropriate to raise interest rates further. So, what the heck happened in two weeks? I mean, not only is Powell saying, hey, we're done tightening, the Fed is signaling at least three rate cuts next year. We went from not speculating on when policy might ease to emphatically saying it's easing next year. All of a sudden, the Fed is declaring victory on price inflation. Of course, this really isn't a victory. It's a surrender. I mean, they would never admit that, but surrender is the effect of the policy trajectory laid out by the Fed people at the December meeting. Now, as you've probably gathered, the Fed wrapped up its final meeting of the year on Wednesday, and honestly, there isn't a whole lot to say about the meeting itself. I mean, it's not like the Fed did anything. Uh, As expected, the FOMC held interest rates steady at between 5.25 and 5.5%, and that extended the rate hike pause into its fourth month. And if you look at the official FOMC statement, and I don't really recommend this unless you're looking for something to put you to sleep tonight, uh, it wasn't a whole lot different from the November meeting statement. In fact, they just changed a very few words. The real news coming out of the Fed meeting was the so-called dot plot, which shows the expected trajectory of interest rates as we move into the future. And as I've already mentioned, the Fed has penciled in three rate cuts for 2024, with another four rate cuts in 2025. So that would actually lower interest rates to between 2 and 2.5%. Now, I should pause here and mention that interest rates between 2 and 2.5%, that's not very high. In fact, going back before the uh, 2008 financial crisis, that would have been considered very easy, accommodative monetary policy. But I guess after you know a decade plus of 0% interest rates, I guess 2% sounds high. I don't know. But anyway, during his press conference, Powell emphasized that the central bank doesn't even need a recession to cut interest rates. So you can see he's really trying hard to justify what the Fed is signaling here. Uh, Powell said it could just be a sign that the economy is normalizing and doesn't need the tight policy. Now, again, 2 to 2.5%, I wouldn't call that normal, right? Uh, that's really easy money. Uh, again, you know, go back just to the the 1990s. That would have been, you know, huge rate cuts. But we live in a different world now. We live in a world that is uh, buried in debt and that needs easy money for the economy to even function. So, you know, that that's where we live now. Um, now. 
not to get too far off topic, but, you know, Powell said he doesn't need a recession, but I think a recession is the most likely scenario. Uh, I think there's going to be a deep, uh, long, difficult recession, and the Fed is going to end up cutting far more than the dot plot suggests, and and far quicker. I think it's going to go all the way back to zero. And, uh, you know, talking about rate cuts now is too little too late for this debt-ridden bubble economy. And I've been over the history of this several times on the show, but I will remind you again that prior to the 2008 financial crisis, the Fed hit the so-called terminal rate, the high point of the interest rate cycle. It hit that in 2006. It actually cut rates for the first time in 2007. And the financial crisis didn't happen until the end of 2008. So you can see how this is kind of a stretched out thing. Again, we live in this microwave world where we expect to punch a button and something to happen. So, you know, we expect the Fed to do some policy and then a week later to see some impact from it. It doesn't work that way. Uh, It takes a long time for this stuff to work its way through the system. That's exactly what we see or what we can learn from the history of the uh, 2008 financial crisis and the Great Recession. So, you know, if you kind of look at that timeline, we're really right now, we're kind of in 2007, you know. Uh, Now, I do think that there's a good possibility that this timeline will be much shorter, much more uh, constricted, because we have much more debt, we have a lot more malinvestments in the economy. But I just refer back to that, 2006, 2007, 2008 time period to kind of give you a frame of reference of where we are in this cycle. Now, if you listen to Powell, you'll hear him talk a lot about a lag in policy. And again, that's why he says they're going to pivot now, even though inflation isn't anywhere near the mythical 2% target. He says he doesn't want to overshoot you know, as if making uh, in, uh, prices drop might be a problem or something. Um, but the truth of the matter is, these clowns overshot a long time ago, like when they held interest rates at zero for a decade after the 2008 uh, crash, and then ran three rounds of quantitative easing, injecting $4 trillion worth of money created out of thin air into the economy, and then doubling down on all of that during COVID. That's where they overshot, right? A few months of 5% interest rates didn't undo all of that. They're in no danger of overshooting now in the inflation fight. Uh, The reality is the lag, it's still going on, but the lag is from all of the inflation that the central bank created over more than a decade. You know, we're still dealing from the fallout of that. And there's going to be a little lag before these higher interest rates break the economy, again, just like we saw in 2008. So anyway, we're talking about rate cuts now. Keep in mind that last month, Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell claimed rate cuts weren't even on the table. Here's what he said verbatim after the November FOMC meeting. Again, this was a month ago. Quote, The fact is, the committee is not thinking about rate cuts right now at all. So we went from, we're not talking about this at all, to, hell yeah, we're cutting rates. I call BS. They were thinking about this in November. They've been thinking about this for a while. They've just been waiting for the right time to unwind all of this. I have some theories as to why, and I'll get uh, into those as we get into the show here. But 
again, it underscores just how fast Powell and company can flip-flop. I mean, if they can go from no hikes are on the table to we're cutting next year, they can just as easily wake up in a couple of weeks and say, you know what, we're going to zero tomorrow. Or I, I guess, you know, contr- uh, on, on the contrary, they could just say, uh, you know, we're going to Uh, raise interest rates more and tighten monetary policy more. So despite all of the, you know, excitement you get in the markets and all of the reaction, what these people say really, eh, who knows whether that's going to be what they do or not, right? So take it all with a grain of salt. So what about balance sheet reduction? Uh, Did that get mentioned in this Fed meeting? Well, uh, they said they plan to keep doing that for now. So they're going to keep shedding treasuries and mortgage-backed securities from the balance sheet. But I would bet dollars to donuts, quantitative tightening is going to be a thing of the past pretty soon. You know, Powell flat out said if the economy slips into a recession, quantitative tightening will no longer be appropriate. Uh, And I've said... Uh, Or as I've said, a recession is coming, right? Okay, so what prompted this sudden acknowledgement of a pivot? Because keep in mind, I mean, they pivoted, what, three, four months ago, right? But why are they now acknowledging it? Like, this is the first time we've really seen Powell and company be really, really dovish. They've always, they've been kind of acting dovish for a while, but they've been talking hawkish. They've been talking tough, right? You know, inflation's not beat. Uh, Don't think about rate cuts. We're going to keep pushing. Uh, This isn't over. And now all of a sudden, you know, we, we turned into doves in, again, just two weeks. Um, so what prompted all of this? Is inflation beat? Well, I don't see any indication of that. We got the uh, November CPI data earlier in the week. Now, if you just read the headlines, you'd probably think that inflation is, if not dead, at least on life support. As I said in the article I wrote over at shiftgold.com slash news, there was a lot of hype over what was really kind of a so-so CPI report. A CNBC headline really reflected the consensus. It said inflation slowed last month. Except it really didn't. The only number that slowed, the only way that you could say inflation cooled, was that the headline annual CPI number did drop a tick from 3.2% in October to 3.1% in November. Every other number indicated persistent, sticky price inflation. So, month on month, prices rose 0.1%. The expectation was for prices to remain flat, 0%, as they were in October. Stripping out more volatile food and energy prices. Again, don't you wish you could strip food and energy prices out of your life? Uh, They do that at the uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics. And when they do that, core CPI rose by 0.3%. That was up from 0.2% in November, but it was in line with estimates. And when I I say that, that's the month-on-month. The annual core CPI was 4%, unchanged from the prior month. In fact, core CPI has been hovering around that 4% range since July. Another big 2.3% month-on-month decline in energy prices is what helped push the overall CPI lower. Gasoline prices fell by 6%, and fuel oil costs dropped by 2.7%. Prices rose in most of the other categories. Uh, 
I think the most significant one was services. Uh, that CPI category charted a 0.5% increase on a monthly basis, up from 0.3% in October. And the annual increase came in at 5.5% for the second straight month. Now, the reason I say this is significant is because service prices are considered to be a leading indicator of future price inflation. Now, what's the target here? 2%, right? Which of those numbers, those annual numbers, is close to 2%? Like, none of them. The core is double the target. And yet, we're supposed to believe that inflation is done? I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but it seems a little early to put price inflation in its grave. I mean, even Powell admitted that price inflation isn't dead. After the FOMC meeting, he said, quote, inflation has eased from its highs. That's true. And this has come without a significant increase in unemployment. I would just add yet. That's very good news, Powell said. But inflation is still too high. Ongoing progress in bringing it down is not assured and the path forward is uncertain. So even Powell can look at the data and say, no, we haven't won the inflation fight, and yet the action that the Fed is telegraphing is, hey, we won and we're done. Powell also conceded that the FOMC doesn't see the personal expenditure index, the PCE, dropping to 2% until 2026. Now, that's quite an admission because the PCE is the index that understates inflation the most. It's the Fed's favorite index, by the way, exactly for that reason, because it understates inflation the most. So, to sum all of this up, the recent CPI data may reflect a slowdown in rising prices and create a sense of optimism, but the victory dance is premature. But here we are. It's also important to note that while 5.5% interest rates may seem high, and, I mean, they are relative to 10-plus years of 0% interest rates, financial conditions aren't really all that tight. Yeah, I know, Jay Powell claims that the rates are now well into restrictive territory, but they aren't. The Chicago Fed's own financial conditions index confirms this. As of the week ending December 8, the index stood at negative 0.51. A negative number indicates loose financial conditions. And financial conditions are actually trending looser, not tighter. The index was at negative 0.46 the prior week. Meanwhile, the Fed managed to shrink its balance sheet from $8.965 trillion at the peak of the COVID-era quantitative easing to $7.737 trillion today. That seems impressive until you consider that the Fed added $4.8 trillion to the balance sheet during the pandemic alone. At the current rate of balance sheet reduction, it would take about seven years just to remove all of the liquidity, all of the inflation added to the economy during COVID. And that doesn't even begin to touch the trillions of dollars added to the balance sheet in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis. All of that money that the Fed created out of thin air, both during the pandemic and the Great Recession, that's inflation, and it's still sloshing around out there in the economy. So no matter what the CPI says, there's still a boatload of inflation in the economy. 
Nevertheless, the mainstream financial media is framing this as a stunning victory. The Fed won the inflation fight, and that's why it doesn't have to hike rates anymore. That's why it can start cutting next year. But that ain't what happened. The Fed just raised the white flag. It surrendered. Inflation won. It's important to understand that by declaring victory and pivoting to rate cuts, the Fed is returning to the very policies that caused price inflation to begin with. Victory is basically conceding defeat. The Fed is saying, we know we can't really slay price inflation, so we give up. Peter Schiff has been talking a lot about how the Fed pivot will reinvigorate price inflation. I'm not going to go real deep into depth on it here. You can listen to his podcast uh, and get the scoop on that. But the short version is the pivot will likely cause dollar weakness, and that will cause commodity prices to rise, which will unwind the CPI progress. A strong dollar was a big reason we've seen falling prices over the last six months or a year. But on Thursday, after all of this Fed brouhaha, the dollar index dropped below 102 for the first time since August. Meanwhile, oil was up 3% thanks to the weaker dollar. So there you go. Also, the Fed is pivoting alone for now. The Bank of England and the European Central Bank are both sticking to the higher rates for longer mantra. So that's going to put even more downward pressure on the dollar as it compares with the euro and the, the sterling and other, uh, other currencies. But, you know, I guess really the question is why? Why did the Fed pivot now? You know, there's nothing in the data that says pivot, right? Price inflation is way above target. The economy still looks strong. We've got what everybody characterizes as a pretty good jobs report. Everybody still insists that the labor market is strong. If you're listening to the mainstream spin, it all screams, keep tightening. And really, that's what needs to happen. If we really want to ring in a decade plus of inflation, we need to really, truly tighten monetary conditions for a long time. Not kind of, sort of, still loose conditions for a little while, which is what we've got right now. But I think the Fed knows. I think they know that the economy can't run in a high interest rate environment. I think they know the economy needs its easy money heroin. I think it knows that interest rates at this level are going to start popping the debt bubbles and collapsing the bubble economy. Or maybe Powell got a phone call from Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. Did you see the November budget deficit? Biden managed to run the biggest November deficit in the history of the United States, and he managed this feat even with a 9% increase in government receipts. So the Fed, federal government got more money this November than it did in, in November a year ago, and yet it still ran a much bigger deficit. I'm not going to go into all of the gory details here. I'll link to an article uh, in the show notes page that I wrote about the deficit. Uh, but I do want to touch on one aspect of this deficit that is really relevant to our discussion here about the Fed and the trajectory of monetary policy. Uncle Sam spent $79.92 billion in interest expense to finance the national debt in November. 
That was more than national defense, which was $70 billion, more than Medicare, which was $79 billion. The only spending category that was higher was Social Security. Now, a lot of the debt that's currently on the books was financed at very low interest rates before the Fed started its hiking cycle. So every month, some of that super low-yielding paper matures, and it has to be replaced by bonds yielding much higher rates. Right. So when bonds mature, the government has to pay the bondholder off. But the federal government's broke, so in order to pay off the person holding that bond, it has to issue another bond. In other words, it has to borrow more money so that it can pay the debt to the people that borrowed money, that they borrowed money from before. That's the cycle that we're in. It's called a Ponzi scheme. It's not good. Uh, but, but that's where we are, right? So every single month, low-yielding treasuries are being replaced by treasuries at the current interest rate, which is much, much higher. The weighted average interest rate on the government's $26 trillion of outstanding treasury debt rose to 3.1% in November. Last November, November 2022, the average weight was or the average rate was 2.22%. So it's gone up almost a full percentage point in just a year. That's a lot of extra interest expense, and that's why we're seeing more interest expense every month in the Treasury statement. The bottom line is interest payments are going to continue to quickly climb much higher unless interest rates fall. And I think Jay Powell knows this. I think this is one of the underlying reasons that the Fed suddenly abandoned the higher for longer mantra. Higher for longer would mean reforming the borrow and spend government. Because the only way out of this fiscal death spiral is significant spending cuts. We would have to drastically shrink government. And let's be honest, ain't nobody in Washington, D.C. interested in actually cutting government. So that being the case, we have to have lower interest rates. And this is precisely why I think more quantitative easing is in the cards relatively soon. It's not going to fix anything, but it will do what government does best. It will kick the can down the road. I really think this is a big part of why we're seeing this pivot now. So looking at kind of the reaction, uh, everybody was very excited about the uh, the Fed pivot. The stock market actually uh, hit some new highs. The Dow Jones hit a record. Uh, many of the other indexes were way up based on you know, we're going to get the easy money back, so stocks love that. It pumps the stock market. It also lit a fire under gold. Now, with the relatively strong jobs report, I mean, it wasn't really strong, right? It was perceived as strong. I'm going to link to an article in the show notes page about that as well. But after the perceived strong jobs report and some quote-unquote strong economic data, gold got hammered down below $2,000 an ounce earlier in the week. It was around 1980 before the Fed meeting. So I'm going to admit it. I was wrong. You heard it first here. I was wrong. I thought $2,000 an ounce was going to hold as support after gold set that record uh, a couple weekends ago. I underestimated the power of Federal Reserve expectations. So after the stronger, using air quotes, after the stronger job report, 
and the CPI data came out, the market started to think, oh, maybe the Fed will put off rate cuts for a bit. So people were going back to that hawkish Fed pessimism. But now the Fed is taking its hand off of the market, right? With this admitted pivot, it has let go of that ceiling. So gold closed Tuesday, or not Tuesday, closed Thursday, yesterday, at $2,036 an ounce. And that was despite another better than expected retail sales report. And, um, you know, I think this was like the third or fourth beat for retail sales in a row. Uh, the mainstream keeps saying this is a sign of the resilient consumer. You know, Americans are out there spending money. The economy's strong. I don't think that's it at all. I think it's evidence that price inflation is actually worse than advertised, and people are having to pay more just to keep up with their necessities. You know, I, I don't think it indicates that people are out there on this grand shopping spree, right? The reality is there's certain things that you got to have, right? You got to have health insurance. You got to have car insurance. You got to buy groceries. The prices of all that stuff keeps going up. And so people are having to figure out how to spend more money so that they can keep making ends meet. So, you know, they're they're tapping into their savings. They're running up credit cards. Uh, they're, they're getting second and third jobs. They're doing whatever they can to keep up with the rising prices. That's not a sign of a strong economy. You know, to, to listen to the mainstream, you would think that people are running out there and buying, you know, fancy clothes and, and uh, you know, cool electronics. That's not at all. They're buying groceries and gasoline, for goodness sake. Um, but anyway, all that said, I'm not going to predict that $2,000 an ounce is definitely the support for gold now, right? I learned my lesson. But I do think it's safe to say that we can see what the trajectory of gold and silver are when the Fed is going with looser monetary policy. And they're certainly signaling now that they're going to looser monetary policy. And I'm much more inclined to believe that than when they say they're going to be tighter for longer. Because again, I think they know that tighter for longer means the economy is going to crack. So I think we can have more faith that this really is the trajectory. But as I talked about earlier in the show, I really do think that interest rates are going to drop much farther than these dot plots are saying that we're going to see a deep recession. And then the Fed will do what it always does when the economy cracks. It's going to go to zero. It's going to resume quantitative easing. It's going to start creating inflation again with abandon. So, you know, again, I think it's just a matter of time before the real cutting begins. Uh, because uh, despite the pivot, I'm convinced that stuff is going to break in the economy. The bubbles are going to pop. So that would mean rapid rate cuts. That means QE money printing. Um it means more inflation. So if you've been listening to me for a while and you're thinking, you know, I probably should add some gold or some silver to my portfolio, the time is now, right? I still think that gold around $2,000 is 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 going to be a good bet. Now, you can hold off and wait and see, well, maybe it'll drop back below 2000 You know, maybe Powell will get cold feet and start getting hawkish again, or maybe we'll get some kind of data that that makes the, the Fed seem like it's going to be tough and tighter for longer. Might happen, might not. But I don't think we're far off of about the cheapest gold you're going to get for a while. So now's the time. And if you're thinking about it, it's a perfect time to talk to a shift gold precious metal specialist. And you can do that by calling 1-888-GOLD-160. Or you can email info at shiftgold.com 
or just go to shiftgold.com. You go to the Getting Started tab. You click on that, and you can actually chat with one of these folks right there online. They're fantastic. Uh, You can talk to them about your goals, uh, your resources, your portfolio, what you're trying to do, what you hope to accomplish, and they'll help you figure out how precious metals can uh, can fit into your strategy. So do that today. And with that, it is a gold wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of these stories and more. And of course, keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shipgold.com slash news. If you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the YouTube channel uh, for Ship Gold. Links to all of that stuff is on the show notes page. You can email me, mmahary, M-M-A-H-A-R-R-E-Y at shipgold.com. Love to hear from folks. And I think that's it. I hope you have a fantastic weekend. Uh, Better start thinking about your Christmas shopping, you know, if you have any money left after you buy your groceries and gas. Uh, So maybe do that this weekend, and I'll talk to you again next week.